We sure had an eventful year, haven't we, students? That's just one year. How's this past year? Uh, from uh, August to today, or from September, uh, just last, last summer to today. This has been an, an incredible journey, and it's just been an um, absolute blast to do student ministry. And um, kind of an incredible privilege, privilege and honor to share in the lives of your students. Up here on the stage, I got a jar of gumballs. Uh, you may remember this from last year. I have a question. Uh, how many uh, gumballs do we have in here? Anybody remember? 936. 936 gumballs are in this jar. If each gumball represents one week, these are how many weeks you have before, from the time that your child is born until their 18th birthday. Doesn't seem like a lot of time. I can tell you that year, even though it was so packed with a lot of adventure, a lot of truth, a lot of pouring into these students, it went by like that. For some of us in this room, this jar is already halfway empty. For, for some of us, even still, there's maybe just a few, few left in this jar. And for many of us, our jar is empty for one reason or another. Either we haven't started that journey or that journey's already done, been finished. Either way, my question is, how have we spent these weeks? Once one is gone, it's gone. We have an incredible opportunity in the lives of young people while they are young that they listen and hear the voice spoken into their life. I'm wondering if we have been uh, as intentional as we can with these precious moments. I'm going to share with you a few things. This is Student Sunday. I made a commitment very early on in our uh, youth ministry experience and uh, my stepping into ministry from the very uh, first my first uh, desire to step into that place where I answered God's call they put in my life, it was very clear that I did not want to uh, create this kind of six flags over Jesus type of experience for students where I'm going to compete with uh, entertainment uh, that the world has to offer. But rather when God puts a young person into our ministry space, that our objective would be to give them truth. Teach them the truth of God. We're not going to be about entertainments or entertaining youth just to try to keep them. I think a, a common uh, ministry objective in the ministry of young people, especially teenagers, is I'm just going to try to keep them from doing something really foolish. You know, I'm just going to try to hold on to them and make sure they don't do anything really bad until they get out on their own. Guys, that's not discipleship. Just trying to give them tidbits of information from God's truth is not intentional discipleship in their life. Our objective is to give them truth coupled with accountability and love. Our objective is to share God's truth, to help them understand God's truth, to help them Understand so they, can, they would believe God's truth. Help them to understand so they would be able to share God's truth. And even defend God's truth in their heart. This is a major passion of mine, but it doesn't mean we can't have a lot of fun doing it. As you saw up here on the, on the screen a little while ago, we have an absolute blast doing it this way. Why do we do these things? Why do we do activities outside the church? And like today, later on this afternoon, we're going to take the youth to go play Battlefield Houston. 
I don't know if you know anything about Battlefield Houston, but it is a tactical laser tag experience beyond any kind of uh, other laser tag experience I've had in my uh, time doing youth ministry. It's the best. You have to accomplish missions against the other team. It's so fun. We're going to be doing stuff like that. Why do we do that? Later on uh, th- this month, well, I mean, earlier uh, last month, we got, to take, we got to take the students on beach day. Uh, uh, we have uh, a, a big trip coming on uh, on a surprise for students who uh, worked really hard on, our, on their fundraisers There's a, in a way of a reward. They're going to be rewarded later on in July. Uh, I haven't told them where they're going, so I won't share that today. Uh, but we are going to a very awesome place that, uh, it, why do we do these gatherings like this? Why do we do outside the church activities where we get to invest in the lives of young people? I'm going to share with you, it's, it's pretty simple. It's to create what I call aha moments. You ever had an aha moment where things just start to make a little bit more sense? What is an aha moment? That's something I'm hoping to look at this morning. Today is Student Sunday, and we will, we will highlight what God is doing and has done in youth ministry so far. But today is still about Christ. Christ said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto, my, unto myself, and that is including students. And youth, this is our life anthem. Be ready always to give an answer. To give an answer for what? Well, this comes from uh, a passage in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse number 15. It says, be to, uh, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart and be ready, ready always to give an answer. An answer to what? To every man who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. With gentleness and respect. Three things. Sanctify the Lord God in your heart. We want to show them how to be like God. To reflect the character and nature of who God is. Hey, Oscar, can you bring me down just a little bit, brother? To reflect the character and nature of God in the way, in everything that they do, see, think, say, and hear. And to be ready. In season and out of season, to be ready always to carry the gospel message into the life of somebody else. Let me ask you, who would be the one that would speak truth in the life of someone, a student, a fellow teenager that God strategically placed in the life of your, of your, of your, of your child? It won't be me. I'm not going to the schools and preaching the gospel. Well, in some cases, we are. We, I, I get a wonderful privilege of doing that with the crew and the mentorship program. But to your students' peers, you know who the church is? The church is not just when they become 18. The church is your student today, right now. God has made it possible for his life-changing, his soul-transforming truth to be spoken in the lives of young people at their school, on their neighborhood, their younger siblings. The church is your children today, not just when they become an adult themselves. This is the drive behind every leader in youth ministry. This This is the drive behind every youth leader in Emerge Youth Ministry here here at Calvary. And listen, we have several very passionate youth leaders here at Calvary. It's not just me. Uh, if, if, uh, just humor me for just a second. If you, are, if you help out in youth ministry, whether you're admin, uh, small group leader, or uh, part of our servant leadership team, we have a group of uh, young students in high school that are part of a servant leadership team that do a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff. If you are helping in the lives of young people, would you just stand for just a moment here at Calvary? 
SLT, that's you too. <laughs> this is your Emerge student ministry team. And we all have the same passion. Thank you guys so much. We all have the same passion. And that's to speak truth in the lives of young people. And I wonder if you would partner with us in that endeavor. I wonder if you will allow us to come alongside of you in sharing the gospel truth and discipleship. Because the way we do this is we find opportunities and make room for these aha moments to happen. So what are aha moments anyway? Some of you already know what I'm talking about. You may have experienced an aha moment in your, in your life. An aha moment is when truth becomes alive. An aha moment is, it, it, it creates an added layer of trust that what you have been told growing up is actually true. An aha moment is when you are told the same truth over and over and over again, but it just doesn't quite have the intended impact until one day that truth is connected with an experience and suddenly it all makes so much more sense. One day you just get it. I had a lot of these growing up. Sometimes it was, uh, it happened fast with simple things. Like when I put my hand on the iron, I said, aha, mom was right. That really is hot. When I was 11, I was going down a really steep hill on my bike and I flipped over and I hit my head. And I remember going, aha, helmets are important. I remember having these moments where, yeah, I get it. Yeah, helmets are important. We should wear those. But there's a sometimes where it connects with an experience like, Mom was right. Dad was right. You ever had one of these aha moments? Or some of the big ones. Some of those big aha moments. Sometimes all it takes is just hearing the same truth from the voice of another mouth. I see this happen in student ministry all the time. I don't know what it is. Sometimes uh, it just takes another voice saying the same thing that you have been telling your daughter, you're telling your son over and over and over again, and they hear it from the voice of another person they respect, and they just say, aha. They connect with this moment where it validates everything that you've poured into them up until that point. They say, mom really was right. Dad really was giving me truth. On August 10th, 1993, for the first time, I had an aha moment that led to me saying, Jesus Christ really is my Savior. And I asked him to be the Lord of my life. Sometimes these aha moments happen in areas of eternal life change. Moments that produce an eternal shift in a child's life. Sometimes these aha moments happen during a message. On a Wednesday night, we do, uh, at, every Wednesday, we do uh, a sermon series. And sometimes you'll see a student just sit in their chair, kind of nodding their head. And sometimes those aha moments happen in their small groups. After the message, we'll break off into small groups where they'll have questions to help them digest what they just heard. It's one thing to sit there and nod your head in front of something, uh, someone who's speaking truth and agreeing with what they're saying. It's another thing to go from here to here that makes it stick here. Now that I'm speaking this to be real, there's this internal accountability that what I am saying, I've also believed. Sometimes those aha moments happen during group outings. 
Uh, we have an incredible leader named Esteban. He got to share with me uh, some conversations he had with students on the, servant, uh, on the uh, junior and senior retreat while we were waiting in line. We were waiting in line for a ride for like an hour and a half. I don't know, it was really long. It was, it's a long time for good conversation. You know, I'm looking at these students, you think we're here for fun? I mean, I mean, yes, we're here for fun. But they don't know, we're looking for opportunities for aha moments to take place. This is all intentional. Sometimes these moments happen when a, a student on their own volition submit a question to the question box. On Wednesday night, we have a, a little box that says, got questions. One of the things I valued the most growing up is my pastor, a senior pastor of our church, he let me ask him questions. And once I, I, I got to the fourth or fifth question, he said, you know, Zeke, why don't you come, come to my office after school, let's sit down, let's go through all these. Sure, that would be great. Can't tell you how many, how many enriching conversations came from me simply asking a question. My pastor met me where I was to give me truth. We see this happen in youth ministry all the time. I'm telling you, it's one of the greatest blessings we get to witness. It's a beautiful thing. Watching the culmination of many voices that God uses to speak his soul-saving truth in the life of a young person. When he calls them unto himself in saving faith. Uh, a grandma here in, in our congregation uh, recently got, a, got to experience this with one of our students. She got to engage in conversation with her and uh, in, in, in a single moment. God bringing to remembrance the voice of her mother, the voice of her father, the voice uh, that she gets from her small group leader that's here, or anything, uh, things that she might have heard on a Wednesday night or in her small group, all coming together in a single moment when grandma asks, so do you want Christ to be the Lord of your life? Without hesitation, she said, yes. Yes, I want Christ to be the Lord of my life. And we rejoice with her. Grandma got to, got to experience exactly what I'm talking about. I'm telling you, it happens so often in the lives of young people. But here's what we need to understand about precious moments like that. Usually, that kind of spiritual journey didn't start when that child entered into youth ministry. Now, in my 12 years of doing student ministry, what I have found the most, what I found to be a reality that we can stand on is that life change starts in the home. But you don't have to do it alone. But we do need to recognize that it starts at home. Consider this. This idea of youth ministry, it's not in the Bible. This idea of youth ministry, you're not going to find it anywhere in Scripture. At least not in the sense of, age-specific groups learning about God once or twice a week in a separated classroom. Well, then why do we do this? Why do youth ministry at all? Why have children's, children's ministry or nursery or do things like VBS and D-Now and junior and senior retreats and summer camps? Well, I hope that answer will be an encouragement to you, and that's what we want to unpack this morning. But first, let me hammer, hammer home this point about what happens in the home. Look with me in 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're beginning in verse number 3. If you have your Bibles, please turn there with me. 
as we read this passage, I'm going to challenge you to see if you can catch one thing. See if you can catch when, where Timothy's faith journey began. We already know that the Apostle Paul had an incredible influence in his life, had an incredible influence on his faith. But when did his faith journey begin? I hope we can catch that here in this passage. Look there with me in 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse number 3. It says this, Timothy, I thank you. Oh, sorry, excuse me. Timothy, I thank God for you, the God I serve with a clear conscience just as my ancestors did. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you again, for I remember your tears as we parted. And I will be filled with joy when we are together again. As I was preparing this message, I couldn't help thinking of my students uh, reading this passage. How I'm eager for them to, to see what God does with them in the next chapter of their life. But how at the same time, I will also be with, filled with incredible joy when I get to see them again. Now look there verse number five. I remember your genuine faith, Timothy. For you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois, and your mother Eunice. And I know the same faith continues strong in you. And then later in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he says, but you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true. For you know you can trust those who taught you. Listen to this. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. And they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. Where did this faith journey begin? This letter is traditionally considered to be Paul's final words to Timothy. If you read the, the, the entire book, you'll see these heartfelt words being spoken by Paul to Timothy. It was written... Not long before Paul was killed, before he was martyred. In this letter, Paul gives Timothy some final warnings, some exhortations, and a charge to remember the things that he had been taught. But he starts off with these tender words in verses 3 and 4, which suggest that they had a very close relationship. There's some of these seniors that are graduating that are part of the servant leadership team. We call the SLT. They're students that we meet with twice a week on Wednesday nights and on Sunday mornings to teach them leadership principles from God's word. I said, I don't know where God's going to put you after this. But wherever he, want, he puts you, I want you to have leadership principles that come from the word of God under your belt. So that you may be able to make his name famous wherever he places you. They're one of the first ones to show up here and the last ones to leave because they set up and tear down our youth area as well. They do a lot of work. So I have this close relationship with them as we're in the trenches together. And I'm showing them what it looks like to be a godly leader through God's word. In the same way, Paul and Timothy grew, grew close to one another as they were doing ministry together. We first see Timothy in, um, in Acts chapter 16. When Paul was heading out on his second, second missionary journey, he stops in Lystra and, and connects with Timothy, who accompanies him on his journey, and he assists him. 
serving as a sort of apprentice to the Apostle Paul. And they grew close to one another. Now, Timothy's biological father was a Greek. But no evidence is ever given that he was a Christian. And so in many respects, Paul filled the shoes of a spiritual father in Timothy's life. I did not have dad growing up. But one of the things I value the most about my mom is that she put me in the company of godly men. My mom did her best to share truth with me and to raise me up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. But she also knew that having another voice spoken to my life would be beneficial to my soul. I have a spiritual Mount Rushmore. Dwayne Spearman, George Short, Reyes Castillo, Ty Gullick are names that mean nothing to you. They mean the world to me. Incredible men of God that spoke into me when I was young and foolish. And I was doing very dumb things. And they had the love and patience to see what God sees. To view a young man the way that God views a young boy. I see similar scenarios happen in youth, youth ministry all the time. As unfortunate as it may be to grow up with an absent parent or an unbelieving parent, there is an incredible blessing of provision from God when he calls on the church body to come and help and fill in those spiritual gaps in a child's life. Listen, I not only valued my mom putting me in the company of godly men, but doing so even when I didn't want to go. Even when I could not appreciate what was being poured into me. I, here's what Jesus said when he was ascending up into heaven. He said, I'm not leaving you alone, I'm sending you the helper. And he will bring to remembrance everything that I taught you. I can't, I can't tell you how many times I hear Ty Gullick's voice in my mind. How many times I, I have the words that God spoke to Dwayne Spearman uh, just uh, come to remembrance in a time that God's truth needed to reign through in my life. Even if I didn't want to be there, my mom put me in the company of godly men. She put my sister in the company of godly women. Now, clearly, Paul had an incredible influence on the man of God that Timothy would later become. But again, did Timothy's faith begin with Paul? No. Look there again, verse number five. I remember that your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice. Who was filled with faith first? Timothy? No, it was Lois. And Eunice, mom and grandma. How many times have grandmas had a precious opportunity to share truth in the lives of their, of, their, of their grandchildren in a way that sticks differently than when mom and dad said the same thing? What a blessing it is to be grandma, to share truth in the lives of a young one. Now look there again. You have been taught, look there in, a, in a 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 15. Look what it says here. But you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught 
the holy scriptures from childhood. Who taught Timothy the scripture of God? Was it Paul? It happened in the home. As influential as Paul was to Timothy's spiritual development, he actually wasn't the one who taught him the scriptures. It happened at home. It was mom and grandma. It wasn't Paul. Listen, the primary source of spiritual influence in a child's life will always start at home. For better or for worse, listen to me. The primary source of spiritual influence starts in the home. For a child who rejects God, for a child who follows God, that spiritual influence begins at home. Here's a responsibility Eunice and Lois sought to fulfill in Timothy's life. Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 7 says this about the commandments of God. And you must commit yourself wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road. And when you are going to bed, and when you're, when you're getting up, and when you're waiting in line at a theme park. Get the picture. Do life with these young ones saturated with the truth of God. Ephesians 6, 4 says to bring them up in the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord. Now, I got a loud voice, and, and I, I boom that voice to my students. They'll, they'll listen, but I'm not going to discipline them. Okay, my, as much as my pastor uh, recognized a lot of foolishness in my heart, the Bible says that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from him. He didn't have that rod. My mom did. Okay, there was, but there was a tag team effort that was happening here. Bring them up. The discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Now what was Eunice doing with these precious weeks that she had with Timothy? She was teaching him the scriptures. Well, I don't know how to do that. Fine, just read it to them. Find an NLT, a New Living Translation, and just read. Let the work of scholars let, let, let the uh, incredible work of scholars do that work for you. This is what she was doing. Parents, hear me. Timothy's faith was a reflection of what he first saw demonstrated at home. Not just what he experienced under Paul's ministry. Parents, you will always be the primary source of spiritual influence in the life of your child. It'll never be me. It'll never be the, uh, the awesome small group leaders you saw stand up a little while ago, no matter how cool they are. We will never have as big a voice in their life as you. It'll always be you. So then why have youth ministry? Then why have children's ministry? Why have nursery or any other ministry that speaks truth in the lives of your children? Because you don't have to do it alone. God has wired the faith family to come together. You know, we hear the phrase, it takes a village to raise a child. Where do you think that comes from? 
that practical logic, that practical beauty comes from God's word. Look what happens when the faith family works together in speaking truth and accountability in the lives of a young person. In verse 15, it says, you have been taught the holy scriptures from childhood and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. So what's the culmination of all this time spent spent teaching Timothy the word of God? Ultimately led to Timothy receiving salvation in Christ Jesus. That's why we do this. That's why we have youth ministry. That's why we're going to go shoot each other with lasers. And hopefully in one of those times, I have an opportunity to create an aha moment. And what a privilege it is to be a part of God's eternal work like that. Now, interestingly, it's not explicitly defined here who God used to actually lead Timothy to saving faith. Some say that he was saved before he met Paul. Others would point to, uh, uh, how, to how Paul called him his uh, son in the Lord, which would indicate that maybe he led him to Christ. Either way, my point is this. It's clear that there was this communal tag team effort in, in Timothy's spiritual development, both in and outside of his home. And this is by design. My question is, are they here? Who is the Paul to your Timothy? Let me ask you, adults in this room, listen, if you're over the age of 18, you've already done childhood stuff, you're an adult, and you love the Lord, let me ask you, what responsibility do we all have as an adult in the body of believers What responsibility do we have in regards to the faith of a young person? I think if we look at the scriptures, I'm looking for a biblical answer here. I think if we we narrow down all the biblical instructions and responsibilities adults have toward a child's personal faith, you'll find it's two things. Teaching and training. Teaching and discipleship. Whether... Whether the child is a believer or not, we are, we are to teach them what is true. Not to validate how they feel. It's to teach them truth. And to train them up in the righteousness of God. Biblically, it's not just parents that have this responsibility. If you search the scriptures on this, you'll see that it's parents. Yes. It's also elders, widows, neighbors, extended family, and those who claim to follow Christ with their life. Adults, let me ask you, has this been your perspective? When you look at these students, is that your perspective? Or do you think, man, that that kid needs some help. That's mom's job. Man, that kid, he needs Jesus. That's dad's job. I'm not going to get involved. Parents, what has been your perspective when a loving brother does actually come alongside of your student to share truth? What if in those moments that your child is called to righteousness, to 
called to evaluate their behavior? Do you respond bitterly? When, when a fellow believer corrects or speaks hard truth in the life of your, of your child, calling on them to grapple with truth and the righteousness of God. We did a message one time on Matthew 7 where it calls on someone to evaluate whether, they claim, whether their faith claim is true. We did a whole message on this, and, and one of the students went home and told his mom, I don't, I don't know if I'm saved. Instead of saying, well, let's sit down and talk. Let's go through the scriptures. I get an email, an angry email saying, my kid doesn't know whether he's saved or not. What did y'all talk about? What did you say to my kid? I was like, one, I didn't say anything to him. I was talking to the students. I think God was speaking to him. Listen, Paul says, let a man examine himself to see if he be in the faith. This is a, these are words of love. When Paul spoke these challenging words to the people of Corinth, Let a man examine himself to see if he be in the faith. I believe very much that a successful ministry in the lives of young people will stem from this intentional partnership between loving parents and the community of fellow believers. Is that us? Discipleship must begin in the home and it must be supported by the faith family. That's our goal. That's our hope here. I know we are a young ministry of three and a half years-ish, but that's our goal. My hope is that you would partner with us. Let us come alongside of you. Here's why I think this is, it, it, this is so vitally important today, now more than ever, because of what Paul says earlier in that chapter 3. Look what he says. He says, you, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times where people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. This is the same line of thought as the passage we just covered. He says they will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. Listen to this. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. You know what that is? There's a child who grows up in church, has a sense of godliness, knows all the right answers, but lacks the power that will make him godly. Do you think we're living in those latter times right now? Me too. You know the ones I see struggle the most with these things? The ones I see grow up in church-ish and grow up after they are removed from accountability and and are off on their own? The ones that I see that struggle with these things the most are the ones who are the least exposed 
through environments of life change. Sure, maybe they'll come once or twice here and there. But there is no consistent pattern of discipleship in their life. So even for those who grew up in church, the upshot of their life ultimately looks like verse number five. They will act religious but will reject the power that could make them godly. What I find is they had no Timothy to Paul relationship. They had no Lois to Timothy relationship, no Eunice to Timothy relationship. As I study Timothy's life, it makes me hope all the more that we're doing everything that we can to help create these, these aha moments of discipleship in the lives of our students. Let me ask you a question, and this is with all humility and respect. Is your, is your student here, is your child in a, in a regular environment of life change? Do you know your, your, your teenager's youth leader? We have youth leaders here. When I speak, I'm, I'm not their youth leader. What are, what are you talking about? Youth? Yeah, I'm their youth pastor. I'm not their youth leader. There's no way I can have, Jesus had 12. Okay, we have 35 students that come here every week. We shrink that number down to have, have them connect with a passionate, loving, caring, God-centered leader. We have, we have eight incredible leaders. Do you know who they are? Do you know who your, small group leader, uh, who your student small group leader is? Do you know their name? Do you have their phone number? Do you talk to them? Well, they haven't reached out to me. Okay, let's, let's change that. Let's shift that moving forward. Listen, the real heroes of discipleship in your teenager's life are the small group leaders who invest in them on a one-to-one basis, on an individual basis every week. Do you know them? I'm telling you, they are incredible men and women of God. They deeply love your children. So I ask again, who is the Paul to your Timothy? Who is the Pauline to your Tammy? Do you know who is to speak, who is partnering with you? You may not even know how God has used a loving man and a loving woman to speak truth to support what you're already doing at home. Last thing, we'll go. Where are they? When you look at this, and evaluate how much time we have left. What would be considered to be more valuable to you than to place your child in an environment of life change? Is it school? They have too much homework? Is it sports? What is it that they're doing instead that's going to matter in 10 years? Here's a better question. What is... Blo- what is a, a, Barring them from being in an environment of life change that's going to matter in eternity. Here's one of the most mind-boggling statistics. Once a student becomes 18 years of age, the, fa- the, 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 the possibilities of them coming to saving faith drops to near zero. There's a reason why the Bible calls on us to have the faith of a child. How are we spending these weeks? 
who influence the faith of young people. The the church can't do it alone, and you don't have to do it alone. Student ministry exists to serve you. Partner with us. Begin setting up intentional aha moments in the lives of your children. And continue to place them in environments where aha moments can happen, even if they don't want to be there. Let God be the one that captivates that heart and not the entertainment that might be available. And listen, if you don't have kids, you're like, Zeke, I don't know what you're talking about. This this jar has long been empty. Okay? What are you doing? What on earth are you doing for heaven's sake? These children will begin, will, will begin to be leaders, be the, be the church. They are the church today. What are we doing to come alongside of them and their parents? What are you doing to be a Paul to a Timothy here, to be a, a Lois to a, to a Tammy to a Timothy? What are you doing to be a, a Eunice in the lives of young people? This is not an ad to get more volunteers in youth ministry. I just want us as a church to recognize why we do this. And hopefully inspire all of us to work together to create more Timothys.